Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Happy New Year to all of you, whether you're joining us uh, online or at one of our other venues. Uh, certainly, Happy New Year to you. It's a Happy New Year if you're a TCU fan, uh, too. So, Happy New Year to all the TCU fans uh, out there. Is there anybody who will not be watching the game? Uh, maybe some Baylor fans out there. Yeah, listen, Baylor Bears, hey, we need to treat others as we wish we would be treated as well. So let that be my admonition uh, for you as well. But uh, I know everybody's going to be watching the game no matter who you're rooting for. And regardless of who you're rooting for, one of the things you will not want your team to do is have a false start. And you know what a false start is. That is when your offense moves before the ball is put into play. If, you're, if you go too early, you move too early, then your team could be penalized as much as five yards, and you don't want that. Uh, the idea is that your, your offense is all waiting together so that they, they moved in, in a coordinated and synchronized effort together so that they can move the ball down the field and obviously, uh, hopefully, score a touchdown. That's the idea. But a false start inhibits you from moving down the field. That's, that's why you want to wait. You want to have everybody on the same page. And so what I want to do today is I want us to all get on the same page together as a church as far as where we're going this next year to hopefully uh, make it where we can get in a coordinated effort, synchronized effort, so we're all moving forward together. Because this next year, we as a church are going to have a reach emphasis. And what I mean by that, you've heard us for the past probably two years now talk about being disciples, making disciples, and reaching those who do not know or walk with Jesus. This next year, we are going to have a reach emphasis where we are trying to reach those in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus because there are 800,000 people within a 10-mile radius of our physical campuses who say they don't know Jesus and they don't want to walk with Jesus. Um, those are the folks we want to reach out to so that they can experience the love of Christ the same way that you've experienced the love of Christ. So this next year, we are going to have a reach emphasis, which is why we are going to be studying the book of Acts. Acts is about reaching those around us with the love of Christ. So that's why we're going to be focusing for the next year all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, last year, 2022, was looking at the heart of Jesus. Now we're going to take Jesus' heart and apply it in our own communities. Uh, as uh, I heard once said, it's time to take our heart for people and put it to time with people. Uh, we've, if we have a heart to reach out to people, we've got to actually do it. Not, not just say we have a heart uh, for it. So that's what we're going to be doing this next year. But I want to give two quick caveats on that. Just because we are emphasizing reaching disciples does not mean we are eliminating being disciples and making disciples. Uh, in fact, I think reaching those who do not know or walk with Jesus necessitates being disciples and making disciples. So we're not eliminating those. We're just being intentional about reaching folks. And we're going to implement some different strategies to help equip you to be able to do that with those in your own backyard, which leads me to my second thing. I am not asking you to become someone you're not in order to reach people. 
uh, unless you don't care about people who don't know Jesus. That I am asking you to become someone you're not. Uh, I'm asking you to care about those who have an eternity apart from Christ so that you can reach out to them. But I'm not asking you to become somebody different, to dress differently, to talk differently, to be somebody different. We're not going to become somebody different as a church. We're going to be true to who we are. We're going to teach the scriptures. We're not watering anything down, but we are going to be intentional about reaching those in our own backyard. So that's where we're headed this next year with a reach emphasis as we study the book of Acts. And today, if we talk about this in a team mentality, we are all going to get on the same page and look at the first play that's run in the book of Acts. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're only going to cover verses 1 to 5 today. And part of that's because I'm going to give you a little bit of background information on the book of Acts, but Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you're opening one of those blue Bibles in whatever venue you're in, that blue Bible, it's page 909. You also need a copy of your sermon notes, and just so you know, it, those sermon notes, are, we only put together just so that they're helpful for you, so that you can write things down. I find in my own life, when I write things down, I remember them. And so it's helpful for you to remember and apply those things, because we want to give you Monday morning application. So, Today, obviously, we're beginning the book of Acts, but just like we did with Matthew, we're going to be breaking up Acts into some mini-series. So we'll break it up and where they'll have different emphasis, where we'll take a little respites and we'll go off on a little tangent for a little while to explain things a little bit longer and then come back on the road. Uh, but this series is called Empowered by the Holy Spirit because that's what we see at the beginning of Acts is the early church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach the world for Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this first series, which is why we called it Empowered. This is going to take us all the way through Palm Sunday, so all the way up into Easter. So this is going to be a long series because we're going to take some deep dives into the Holy Spirit and some deep dives into the activities of the early church. So I'm really excited about this, but this is the beginning of that mini-series, Empowered by the Holy Spirit. But before we jump into the whole thing, let me give you some of that background information. And this is on your sermon notes as well, just so that you understand a little bit about the book of Acts. Okay, first thing that I want you to understand is it was written by the physician Luke as a continuation of his gospel account. This was written by the physician Luke as a continuation of his gospel account. Luke was a physician. We know that from Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. Now, how does Paul know that Luke is a physician? It's because they were traveling companions. They traveled together on Paul's missionary journeys. So later on in the book of Acts, uh, you're going to notice that there is a pronoun used, we. And Luke is talking about we went here and went there because he was going with Paul. That's why he says we did this and we did that. So you're going to see we show up later in the book because Luke is traveling with Paul. Paul. So Luke had firsthand knowledge of these things going on in the book of Acts. And as he's establishing these things, he's coming across people that walked with Jesus, 
people that saw the miracles that Jesus performed, the people that ate when Jesus fed the 5,000, people that interacted with him or were healed by him. So Luke is gathering all of this information about, uh, from all of these eyewitness accounts about people that had been with Jesus. So he collects these accounts and writes these two uh, uh, scriptures. So he writes the Gospel of Luke and then this book we call Acts uh, before about 62 AD. And I think that's important to understand because by 62 AD, he would have had, there would have still been plenty of people that would have seen Jesus in the life of Jesus who would have been eyewitnesses to his life. You think about, I was looking this up the other day. I mean, there are still thousands, a few thousand people that were survivors of the Holocaust that are still alive. Their firsthand account uh, that were in World War II, firsthand account. You can go back and verify some of the things that happened because of those people who were there, who lived it. That's exactly what Luke is doing, is he's talking to all of these folks, and he's gathering this account. We actually find that from Luke chapter 1, the beginning of Luke's account. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, it says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also." having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which I'll explain who that is in a second, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you were taught or that you have been taught. So these are eyewitness accounts that Luke is gathering up, and I love it, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Not so that you can doubt, but so you can be certain of the things that, are, that, that you've heard, that have been hearsay. That's why we study this, so that we can know what is true. This is truth. And so Luke is gathering all these accounts, and he's writing this account, he's compiling this account for someone named Theophilus. That's the second thing I want you to know. This is written to Theophilus, who likely commissioned the record. So back in those days, a, a, a wealthy person could commission works to be recorded. And so there was a person named Theophilus, and I actually think it was probably a literal person who, uh, th- that was a proper name during those times, who commissioned Luke and said, hey, I've heard about this Jesus. Would you go and verify those things? Compile this account. That's what he's doing. Now, some people don't think Theophilus was a a real person, but rather Luke is writing to a general broad audience because the name Theophilus means God lover. Uh, Theo, God, phileo, love. So God lover. And so they say he's just writing to a general audience. Well, I think that's just in the sovereignty of God that this applies in a broad sense to all of us who love God. So God lover, this is so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have heard in the past. So this was written to Theophilus, to the one who loves God, who commissioned the record, but it was also written to show how the gospel spread through Jesus' empowered disciples. This is written to show how the gospel spread through Jesus' empowered disciples. I told you this was a continuation of Luke's 
uh, other narrative, the Gospel of Luke. And so these are two, two books that go together. Um, the first one is about the, the life of Jesus, all the way, he begins at birth, all the way to resurrection. Now he picks up on the birth of the early church and how it grows and matures throughout time. These two go together. And you go, well, why did, why did he put them in two books? Why didn't he just put it in one book? Well, remember, they had limitations those days regarding recording materials. Uh, the scrolls, the papyrus, they were only about 35 feet long. And so you could only write so much before you have to go, okay, I've got to start a new scroll, a new account. And so that's why there are two accounts together, not only because of the physical limitations, but also because it has two different purposes. This one's to show us the life that, that Jesus lived and the work he began. This is to show how his work continued. Okay, But the book of Acts, as I told you, is called... When you think of the, the book of Acts, I mean, when I think of it, I think of action, right? These, these are acts. These, these are things that went on, things that, that, that occurred. It's an action. It, it, it's very, it, it, there's aggressive, there's movement, there's, there's momentum going. But the book of Acts, the first play that I set up for you, starts in a completely paradoxical way, completely opposite. Because the way that the book of Acts begins is with everyone waiting. Everyone is waiting. No one is moving forward. They're all sitting together. And I think that that's really appropriate for us these days. Because I think when we all start the new year, whether you start with resolutions or you start with intentions or you are you know, anti-resolutions, I don't know what you are. Um, everybody falls in different categories on that. But every single one of us hopes that this year, in some way, is better than the last. Every, every one of us hopes that there are aspects of our world that change this next year. Whether it's a change in your relationship with someone, you hope it grows or you hope it, it gets better or, or you hope that your world gets better with you get, you get the promotion in your career that you were hoping for or you complete this certification or you complete this class. Every one of us has aspirations of our world changing, of, of getting better. And all of us want to push that. And we want to force that, and we want, we want to see that, that happen. We want to see some momentum and movement toward our world changing, our world getting better. And if anybody wanted to see their world get better, it was the disciples at the time. If anybody wanted to see the world change, it, it was them. They had already seen how Jesus had changed their lives. They had already seen how Jesus had changed lives of people around them, and they're saying, Okay, it's time to go. Let's go, Jesus. And he says, wait. Wait just a second. Let's all wait. Let's all get on the same page together. Let us coordinate what that next play is going to be so that we can all move forward together. And I think that's super appropriate for us as we begin the new year because whether you aspire for things to get better, maybe you feel stuck. Or maybe you're waiting for, for some sort of spark to, to get you going. If you're waiting on God, 
you're waiting for the right things. Because the way that scripture talks about waiting on God is always positive. Always positive. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you how the disciples were waiting, what they were waiting on, but also how Jesus used that waiting and apply that to you if you are waiting for your world to change around you. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. And uh, I want to carry this theme of waiting through, but I want you to first see that the apostles waited for Christ's wondrous work to continue. The apostles waited for Christ's wondrous works to continue. Remember, this is picking up in the middle of a, a broader story. The Gospel of Luke, now the beginning of Acts. And it says in verses 1 to 2, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so I want to key on two words in that, that verse, and this is why I want you to have your sermon notes uh, there, because uh, the first word I want to key on for you real quick is began. This is, he, he had started to record the things that Jesus began, and they were wondrous things, wonderful things that we would all love to see in our own lives. I mean, people healed hurts healed, people, relationships restored, all of those great things. These were the things that began, and these were the things that the disciples wanted to continue to see. But he was saying, hold on, I have a, a different program. And the other thing that I want to point out here is, uh, especially because we came out of the gospel of Matthew, we've talked about those who walked most closely with Jesus. The term that we've used for them is disciples. We've called them disciples. And now you're going to notice that there's a, a change in how they are referred to. Now they're called apostles. Now you just need to know the definition. Of, disciple means learner. That's the definition of it. It's a, it's a learner, but, uh, but it's a more involved learner, somebody who walked and followed Jesus uh, or, or follows very intimately. The term apostle means sent one, one who is sent. And so that, yes, catch the irony here. Jesus was the first apostle sent by God to us. And now in order for the work to continue, the work that Jesus began, he is now going to call his disciples. You are now my apostles. I am now going to send you with the good news to continue the work that I began. You see, they wanted to see it continue, but what they didn't understand is that what is going to continue through Jesus physically? It was going to continue through them. And that's one of the reasons why he wanted them to wait. He wanted them to wait because there's still work that he wanted to do in their lives. But how could that work continue? How would it go? One of the things that I want to say very quickly is don't forget this, that ever since Jesus was resurrected, he gave his disciples, who would become apostles, he gave them step-by-step -step instructions. Remember this? 
They, they go to the tomb and they find it empty. And what are they told? Go back and tell the other disciples. Okay, I should do that. Let me go run and go tell everybody else. Then they're told, go to Galilee. Just like he told you, he will meet you in Galilee. Okay, let's go to Galilee. Go into Galilee. Now we're going to find out that they are told to go back to Jerusalem. And they go to Jerusalem and they're waiting in Jerusalem. We'll cover that uh, next week. But they had step-by-step instructions of what they were supposed to do next. They couldn't move forward. They couldn't move to the next step until they had finished the first step. And as soon as they had finished the first step and it was God's timing, he gave them the next step. And I think that that's big for us to remember. Because if you're not sure what's next, if you're waiting for your world to change, just obey the last thing you were told. Just obey the last thing that you were told. We don't want to run ahead of God because we can only do what God has called us to do with his empowerment. So we can't run ahead of him. We don't want that. That's a false start. We, we, can't, we can't push him to act in a way that, that he doesn't want to act just yet. You see, one of the keys to waiting for God is to waiting for God's timing waiting for his timing. He, he is sovereign, and he has a, a plan in place, and he has a particular time. We even covered a little bit of that, that, that in the right time, he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth. We wait for his timing, and if you go ahead of his timing, false start. And it doesn't cost you with God, but oftentimes we create messes in our own lives because we try to force things. And so it costs us personally, just in our lives, cleaning up those different things. And so one of the things you need to wait on is his timing. And the way that you wait on his timing is you obey the last thing he told you to do. Just keep doing that. Now, let me, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, my wife, Jen, and I, we met at Dallas Theological Seminary. We were both uh, students there. And let's just say it was not love at first sight for both of us. Okay, you get what I'm saying. Uh, we, we met in a January intensive class, one-week class, where you went from 8 to 5 all, all day long, all week. And the January intensive class is where we met. I was graduating in May. So you can understand my urgency level was about here of uh, not only do I love her, she's fantastic, but hey, I'm about to be away from her. I'm about to move on to my next step. I, I've got to, you know, present myself and hurry this thing along. So in that one-week class, I felt like I threw myself at her. Um, she did not catch what I was throwing. Um, so I fell flat on my face. Um, again, this was my last, last semester of seminary, about to walk and graduate in May of a 120-hour master's program. Okay, this is a long program. Uh, after I threw myself at her, and she did not seem to bite, um, I remember I went back to my, my room, and I got on my knees, and I, I said, Lord, I am not going to spend my last semester chasing this girl around. I know that you called me to seminary, so help me to finish well. I knew four years ago what he told me to do was go to seminary. Just, just do this. 
And I, I had to have this literal come to Jesus moment on my knees where I'm like, I cannot get distracted trying to chase after something else when I know you've called me to do this. And I feel like God honored that because God brought her back around in a very strange and miraculous way, which is a story for another time, but in a way that he showed that his timing was perfect. But I had to obey the last thing that I was told. Go to seminary. Just obey that. Wait for his timing. You can't force those things. And you don't want to force those things. Can, Can I tell you that, please? You don't want to force those good things that God gives. Because here's the here's wonderful thing. If God gives it, then only God can take it away. If you grasp at it, then other things in life can take those things away. You don't want to grasp for those things that are not in his timing and not of his plan. So just continue to obey the last thing that you've been told to do. And, and here's, here's another important thing is you're not going to be waiting alone. You're, you're going to be waiting with him. See, the apostles waited with Jesus as he revealed himself to them. They, they, they waited together. Sometimes, and some of you may feel like this. You may feel like you are, are stuck and you're waiting all by yourself and you're just, you want something to change in your life the status of something in your life, and you feel alone and you feel isolated, you're not. He is waiting with you the same way he was waiting with the disciples. In verse three, it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, one of the things that you need to understand is when you wait on God, you are also waiting with God. When you're waiting on him, you're also waiting with him. And he is wanting to speak to you through his word. That's exactly what he was doing there. He was speaking through his word to them in this unique 40-day period where he's talking to the disciples, where he's with them. And 40 days, coordinates with some feast stuff. I don't have time to go into that, but what you need to know is, biblically speaking, 40, the number 40 represents a time of transition and a time of preparation or purification. A a time of transition and a time of preparation and purification. And, And maybe if you're in this waiting period, know that he's preparing you. That there's a preparation, there's a purification that's going on, and that's what he was doing here. He's preparing them because there's a huge transition that's about to take place, which we'll get into uh, next week. And we know a little bit about what he's telling them during these 40 days from the end of the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, it'll come up on the screen. It says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending 
the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So what is Jesus doing during this 40-day period of preparation, purification, transition? First thing he's doing is dispelling doubt. If you'll remember at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, they were worshiping Jesus, but it says some doubted. Well, of course, you and I would have doubted. If someone had come back from the dead, and even if we had dinner with them, you wake up the next day and you ask yourself the question, was that real? Like, did, did I dream that? And I think they needed that consistency, that, that enforcement of, hey, no, guys, I'm really alive. Really. What you experienced yesterday was true. So he's dispelling some of their doubts, but he's also connecting some dots for them. He's going back through the scriptures and saying, see, here's what Moses said. See how that points to me? See, he's connecting some of these Old Testament prophecies and going, that was me. And he opened their mind to understand. Which, just as a quick aside, um, how gracious is God? And I think he will do this for each one of us, that when we see him face to face, he will connect some dots. You, are, you, you have some dots that you go, I don't know how those connect. Wait till you see him face to face. And he'll connect those dots for you. And he's connecting dots for them as they study the scriptures together. This is how God speaks to us, is through his word. But the last thing that he's doing is he's adjusting their expectations. He's adjusting their expectations. Because remember, he talks about here in verse 3, it says that he was talking about the kingdom of God. Now remember, the, the disciples, I'll use, use those synonymously, disciples and apostles. The disciples, they understood the kingdom of God, meaning that God's representative would come and rule and reign and give them peace and prosperity and overthrow the, the government. He was going to establish a new government, essentially. Now, Jesus had told them it's not going to look that way, and he kept telling them that. But think about this. If the person that you expected to come and overthrow the government is crucified, you go, okay, my hopes, they're dashed. But then he's resurrected. I mean, if there's any time that somebody's going to come and overthrow the government, it's the one who's resurrected who has these superhuman powers. And they're going, okay, Jesus, we know we got it wrong in Luke's first account. They didn't know it was Luke's first account, but we know we got it wrong earlier. But now, now you're glorified. Like now you're resurrected. Surely it's now. And he's going, no, not yet. I think he's having to adjust their expectations during this 40-day period, which is a great correlation for us. That if you're not sure what's next, allow Jesus to adjust any unlined expectations unaligned expectations. Allow Jesus to adjust any unaligned expectations. Jesus is adjusting their expectations about what to look for and what is next. And when our expectations are adjusted, we learn what to look for so we don't miss it. So we don't miss it. I'll give you an illustration. On uh, Christmas morning, in our house, uh, Jen and I, we wrap gifts for the boys, but uh, usually we leave out 
a gift that is unwrapped for, for each of them. Uh, for Dax, we had given him a little soccer goal and a little soccer ball. For Hayes, he had outgrown his little, uh, little bike that had the training wheels on there, so we had to get him a little bit bigger bike. So Hayes was getting a bike, hard to wrap, which is why we leave it unwrapped. Um, so we, we set the bike out there. Now, both of them are really into soccer right, right now. And so Jen and I are really excited that they're going to get those gifts. And we're really excited about giving uh, Hayes his, his bike. And so we go downstairs and we tell them to wait upstairs. And then uh, they come down. We can't wait to see Hayes' face when he sees this brand new green and black bike. I mean, it's really cool looking. We can't wait. He comes down, walks right past the bike, and goes straight to his brother's soccer stuff. And we go, Hayes, um, did, did you see what, what you got? I mean, we're trying to not say, look at the bike, you know. We're like, did you see? And he's like, huh? And he's like, yeah, well, leave me alone. Like I'm looking at the soccer goal and the soccer ball, which is really cool. And that's what his brother's looking at. And finally we're like, Hayes, look, you got a bike. And he's like, oh. And he was really excited. I mean, he, rode it, he, he rides his bike all the time now. It wasn't that he didn't want a bike. It's that he didn't know he should be looking for a bike. I mean, if we had told him before he came downstairs, Hayes, for Christmas, you're going to get a bike. When he walks into the living room and he sees a bike, I mean, he's looking for it. That's what he, that's what he was told he was going to get. That's what he's looking for. Because he had the expectation that that was what was to come. You see, sometimes I think we walk by the opportunities that God has in our life because we have unaligned expectations. We're looking for the wrong things. Or we don't know what we should be looking for. And when we're waiting on him and we're waiting with him, then he is adjusting our expectations and going, here's what you need to look for. Here's what you need to be sensitive toward. And then when it shows up, it's really clear and obvious and we know how to act, which is exactly what happens here in the book of Acts. You see, the apostles waited to receive what was promised. He was telling them what was to come. He was telling them, look for the bike. There's a bike that's going to be there. Look for that. And he's telling them what's to come. In verses 4 to 5, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, one of the reasons why Jesus wanted the disciples to wait was because there was another player who was coming onto the field. There's another player that's going to be added to the game. So don't run ahead. There, there's, there's the best player. The best player is about to come onto the field, and that's what he's waiting for. But it was the one who was promised. He promised that he was going to send him, which we, again, will talk more about as the series continues. But God always delivers on his promises always delivers on his promises. So if you're not sure what's next, just commit to act when God makes his next step clear. Just commit to act when God makes his next step clear. You know, one of the things that I pray for in my own life, I've told you this before, I pray for, for you, especially if we're praying about something very specific, is God, just make it clear 
We want to obey you. Just make it really clear when you want us to, to move, when you, when you want us to act, when you want us to do this. Uh, that, that is what God was providing here is wait. It'll be really clear. He makes it very clear when he delivers on what he's promised. And that's what we, we just need to commit to act. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting with you. That's always positive. I'm waiting on your timing. I'm waiting for your empowerment. I commit to act whenever you open that door, whenever you clear that path, whenever you show me that this is obviously from you. You see, as you wait this next year uh, for different aspects of your world to change, if you're waiting for your world to change, here's what I recommend. Allow him to change you first. Allow him to change you first. Because one of the keys that you're going to see through Acts is this, that the way that God changes the world is through his people. That, that's the way he changes the world. But he's got to change us before he changes anything else. He changes us, the world, one life at a time. And so as we wait on him, as we have these great expectations, great aspirations and hopes for this next year, we say, God, I'll wait on you. I'll commit to act when you act. Just make it clear. And I know he will make it clear as he fulfills his promises to us. Let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you that when we wait on you, we're not waiting by ourselves, but we're waiting with you. And you're not staying silent. You're continuing to speak to us about your faithfulness, about your kindness, about your plan. Lord, you're, you're making us sensitive to those things that you want to do in and around us. So, Lord God, we offer ourselves to you individually. We offer ourselves to you corporately as a church. Lord, we are yours. Please, God, work in and through us to be your people, to see what we saw in the early book of Acts, Lord, where you reach people who are far from you so that you grow the body of Christ for your glory's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.